Welcome to the IC Med Family Health Matters Podcast. Conversations about the changing world of health, technology, and caregiving. This podcast brings you insight from experts and innovators to empower you to live a better life. We're here to help you and yours get in the driver's seat of your health care because your family matters. And now, here are your hosts, Yaya Fanusi and Andrea Yuseem. Welcome to the IC Med Family Health Matters podcast, where we have conversations about the changing world of health, technology, and caregiving. I'm Yaya Fanusi, and my co-host is Andrea Yuseem. Andrea, how are you doing today? I'm great. I'm excited to get started. Me too. Me too. Now, you and I, I have known each other for, for almost 10 years. I probably should give a little bit of uh, background. Um, I'm a podcaster and an advisor to IC Med. Uh, so I've been working in podcast technology for, for quite a while. And you are a, actually a former journalist and you're now a critical care nurse. So, I mean, we're really trying to bring together this idea of using technology to highlight issues within, within health, wellness, um, and caregiving. So, um, really, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just, I, I see that intersection of, of health and technology every day when I go to work because, you know, the patients in the ICU, they're there, they have really nothing with them, not even their own clothes. And the two things they have at their bedside are their families and their phones. And that just says so much to me about how um, healthcare is changing, how the patient mm-hmm. is always at the heart of healthcare, and also how technology is playing such a big role. So I think this right. conversations, these conversations that, that we're going to have here, we're really going to be able to, you know, dive, dive into some of those stories. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. And, and I think that actually brings us to our, our first interview. Um, you know, we had an interview with Jan Oldenburg, and Jan is a nationally recognized expert on patient uh, engagement and digital health. Um, she is an author, and I had a chance to talk with her for a little while about her own personal experience and how she's, I think, dealt with the adversity, the challenge of, of dealing with um, healthcare and seeing yourself as almost uh, someone who's not empowered and then empowering herself. And she's actually really, really got a lot of advice for her. This interview I thought was really good. Yeah, and um, although although I wasn't there for the interview itself, yeah. I have talked with Jan, and one thing that's so exciting about her, I think, is that you know she's this incredible expert. She's worked with all sorts of healthcare organizations, but she brings that personal experience. So she talks very frankly about her her own journeys through healthcare, and she tells the stories of some other people around the country. And I think that's a just a great combination. You know, you have this expertise and these, you know, real life stories. Right, right. And that's what we want to, I think, emphasize here, the stories behind um, what we see happening in health. So I guess we'll go to it. I probably should mention regarding Jan, because I didn't get to say this in the interview that that, that we're going to play. Um, uh, you know, she, her book, which is coming out, Particip- Participatory Healthcare, it's coming out this summer. Um, you can get it if you go to her website, Jan Oldenburg, and Oldenburg is spelled O-L-D-E-N-B-U-R-G.com. So that's where you can get all the latest on, on her. So I think we are ready. Should we go into the interview? Let's, let's do it. All right, let's roll the tape. Now we have... Jan Oldenburg. Jan is a national leader on digital health and the author of best-selling titles on patient engagement. 
Her latest book, Participatory Healthcare, will be published this summer. Jan, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Great, great. Well, first, first question. Um, you've written before about patient engagement. And in your latest book, you write about your own experience uh, within healthcare, especially after your husband suffered a heart attack in 2001. So just to start off, can you tell us, what did your own experiences teach you about healthcare? So many things. Um, you know, even though I, at the time, was uh, working inside the healthcare system uh, and was knowledgeable about process and procedures and knew a lot of people, it's still very different when you are either the patient or uh, the spouse of a patient, in my case. Um, you're still so much more subject to uh, not only are you shocked by what's going on, and as a consequence, you are uh, not operating um, with all of your intellectual facilities because your emotions take over. Right. Um, but, you know, you're on a journey inside, and so you don't have the same standing you have when you are... Um, either an observer or when you're a part of the system. And people don't listen to you in the same way. You don't have the same access. Um, I, I pulled rank. I used my connections and contacts. I was lucky to have them. I was lucky to oper be operating in a, in a city um, and inside of a healthcare system where I had those contacts. Um, and for me, um, they gave me the sense that I had something to contribute and uh, that I was able to take some sort of action in a situation where I felt absolutely helpless. Um, but uh, why, but why, were you why were you feeling helpless? Uh, because there was virtually nothing I could do to help my husband except hold his hand. Um, and, um, I had to rely on, um, the doctors and, you know, felt pushed around a bit by the, um, by the policies of the HMO I was covered by. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, you know, what would I do if I were my mom and I didn't know anybody and I was simply subject to this process, we were um, we were not at the flagship hospital of mm -hmm. the of the HMO. Um, I had introduced myself to the care management nurse and said, if there are any issues, I'd given her my card, all my contact information, and said, call me if there are any issues. Mm -hmm. um, and found out from the one-on-one -on -one nurse that they were planning to move him on the second day of his care, even though we were in that hospital because there hadn't been beds at the flagship hospital when, um, when it was appropriate um, initially to, to put him in a different place than where he had initially been seen. And that was the, the moment I was like, no, we've developed relationships with these doctors. They've already started his care. He's in uh, intensive care. He's being handled. This is not the moment to move him. 
Mm -hmm. um, so that was the moment I started calling people up and down the chain and saying, you know, this is not appropriate management of mm -hmm. his care. Um, but I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't had those connections and contacts and it made me feel uh, very pushed around. Mm. So what do you recommend other patients do when they're faced with this sort of situation? How can patients take control um, and be more uh, of a participant in, the, in their own health care? You know, I think always, um, even in those kinds of emergency situations, ask um, politely but firmly to be brought into the conversation about what is happening, um, what the decisions, what decisions are being made, why they're being made, discuss um, the outcomes, discuss the choices, um, and get advice. I mean, I called, I'm, I'm not a clinical person, Mm -hmm. But I called the clinical people that I know. I asked them what they would recommend. I asked them for their advice about the best doctors for his condition, the best treatment options, so that <clears throat> I was armed with um, some objective information even in that difficult situation. I asked the doctors who were treating him, what their advice would be under the circumstances, and enlisted them in the process as well in having the conversations um, with the insurance folks. Um, so, you know, I think you use all the resources at your disposal as opposed to um, simply uh, being the, the victim or the passive recipient mm -hmm. of that. Um, and, you know, it's the kind of thing where uh, you, there are still moments in the process where I very much wish we had asked more questions. I wake up in a cold sweat sometimes mm. in the middle of the night about um, the moment three days preceding the heart attack where he came home from a doctor's visit and said, yeah, they want me to have a stress test. Um in a couple of weeks, but the doctor says there's no rush. And I don't know if I'm going to make it to that couple of weeks. And, you know, mm. mm -hmm. I should have, both of us should have pushed at mm. that point. Um, yeah. Also, you know, at the point that we called um, when in, he woke me in the middle of the night and said, I think I'm having a heart attack. Nobody on the phone, nobody when the ambulance came, nobody said, you know, if this is a heart attack, you should be going to the uh, level one trauma center. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I didn't think of that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's another moment that would have saved significantly in damage to his heart and um, in his, in his uh, health long-term. Well, the book is uh, a way for you to convey some of the lessons, but it, it's really interesting that you're, you tell other stories in the book. Um, there's one story of Mr. Hugo Campos, uh, someone in the Bay Area with an implanted cardiac defib uh, defib defibrillator, sorry, 
uh, an ICD. Why did you include his story? Hugo's, uh, Hugo's just a wonderful example of an activated patient. Um, and he's one of many in the book. Um, Hugo has been fighting since, um, for at least five years or more, for access to the data from his ICD. Um, so it's a device implanted in his body carrying data from his systems, and yet he does not have access to it. Um, in fact, he's the last person to get access to it. The device manufacturer is the first to have access to that data. Um, they send it to his doctor, and his doctor um, may share it with Hugo at the next appointment. But in the middle of the night, um, or day, or at whatever point, Hugo may be having an episode that threatens his life. He has to rely on um, all of these other systems to be working and for them to notify him what kind of action he should be taking. Mm -hmm. As opposed to being able to get access to that data, you know, and preferably with some help interpreting it to determine what action sh he should take, um, but to be able to get a read or to, to initiate action on his own behalf about what to do with it, to send that data to a doctor on his own, in his own right for interpretation. Um, <clears throat> he uses instead an alive core, which allows him a one lead reading, but it's sort of ridiculous when he's got um, data uh, that's much more robust from a device implanted in his heart. Hugo um, has been fighting this battle alone for a long time, but he's recently been recognized for his efforts as a White House champion of change uh, last summer, in the summer of 2015, um, by the White House. And he also was recognized in, I believe, February of 2016 at the White House initiative around uh, precision medicine. Um, and I think he's a great story because he illustrates, not every patient is going to be as active as Hugo, mm -hmm. but it illustrates what patients can do when they take action on their own behalf. Um, not all stories in the book are about activists like Hugo. Some of them are stories about individuals who operate very quietly um, when confronted with a health situation. But people are amazingly courageous in their own right and in defense of themselves or their loved ones when confronted with health issues. And, um, you know, in lots of respects, we tell those stories to both honor their courage and to help people imagine a health system where the knowledge of patients about their own health and of caregivers about the health of their loved ones are recognized and, and acknowledged and used as a way of making the whole system better. Um, and the book also includes uh, essays from experts in the field that um, describe aspects of the health system uh, 
about how it would work if it was really designed with the interests of patients and caregivers at the center, and if it was really uh, designed in a way that was much more patient-centered. You know, there's that old um, piece of wisdom that says, the future is already here, it's just unevenly distributed. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the essays describe aspects of that future and showcase um, how things are already working in some places in the healthcare system or describe ways that it could be working. And honestly, some of the patient stories also uh, illustrate um, wonderful examples of healthcare systems that are working for patients um, in ways that, um, that help them uh, act on their own behalf and take care of themselves. Well, you also, I know one of the areas that you have focused on for years is digital health, um, and so you you deal a lot with technology. Uh, there was one story that I found interesting, uh, uh, the get my, hashtag get my data movement. Can you tell get us a my little health, get my, get my health, health data. <laughs> oh, get my health data. Could you tell us a little bit about that, the story behind that? Yes, um, so this is an initiative um, that um, was led by the, the Association for Children and Families. And um, it was a collaboration between a lot of people who have an interest in and a passion about um, people having access to their own health data. Um, and comes out of some of the concerns about a rollback in the requirements for meaningful use for providers to um, need to demonstrate that they are making health data available for, for patients. Um, some uh, providers were complaining that they couldn't be held responsible for their patients requesting their data and that their patients weren't asking for it. So um, this was a drive to showcase not only that patients were asking for their data, but to provide them with the means of doing so and to give them a way of telling their stories. So if you go to uh, getmyhealthdata.org, um, you have the opportunity, not only are there some ways provided of asking for your health data, but then they're collecting stories about um, the successes people experience, but also the difficulties that they experience in getting their health data. Um, and it's really a part of a movement to showcase that people suffer um, in real ways by not having access to their clinical data. Um, and it's more, you know, there's a certain piece of it that's about empowerment, but there's a piece about it that is that it endangers their health. And um, I, one of the stories that I tell in the book is about a woman named Elizabeth who, uh, you know, there's a part of it that's about the way that she's uh, absolutely the model of a digital consumer. Uh, she uh, met her husband on a digital site. They, uh, when they got married, they used um, a, a digital site to plan the wedding. Uh, when she got pregnant, she used a digital site to track all of the aspects of her pregnancy and to learn about it. There was an uh, app for everything, I guess. There was an app for everything, absolutely. And then um, with her health care, she had no way of connecting to her doctor. And um, not only for her health, but for her child's health. Um, and ended up 
even you know, and this even though she was in one of the most um, highly connected areas of the country, she lives in the Washington D.C. area. Um, so she ended up switching to a concierge medicine practice and paying out of pocket in order to be able to have the digital connections. Um, and still, when she was diagnosed with MS, her doctors thought there might be a relationship between her symptoms and uh, the vaccinations that she had received since childhood. So they asked her to track down in all of the health systems she'd been seen in since childhood all of her vaccinations with the details about what she'd received. Uh, that required writing letters, sending self-addressed stamped envelopes, paying for the copies, um, and still they were not able to get the information that would help them identify whether that was a part of the problem because of the a uh, couple of the health systems were missing critical information about the lots and the manufacturers of those vaccinations. So it's a great illustration, I think, of um, the crucial nature of getting access to your records, having digital access to their records, both because of the timeliness of getting that access and because of the hassle factor and um, the need for accurate records um, that it conveys. Yes, and, and you've touched on uh, cost. You mentioned that. I'm wondering if you can say a bit about what are some of the financial costs to the patient when the patient does not have control of their data or control of the process? You know, I think this is changing, um, thankfully. Um, and it's changing because of actions very recently taken by the ONC. So in the past, there has been um, virtually um, no limit on what could be charged for access to records, both for the cost of copying and for, um, you know, the charges for even uh, people digging up the records and get providing access to them. Um, but recently, the ONC has uh, taken action to provide guidance and get very specific about um, the limits on what can be charged. Um, and in part because I think they've said, you know, we have provided incentives to uh, make, um, to provide practices with ways of digitizing their records. And it is not appropriate when we have provided those incentives and practices have taken them for them then to turn around and charge the public. Uh, for access to digital versions of them. Right. So they've provided much more um, great limits on what can be charged for them. And so I think that situation is getting much better. And there's a lot of guidance out there now. Um, so it is actually a civil right that patients have access to their data. Mm -hmm. And if it is uh, carried digitally, that um, they should be able to obtain digital copies, um, so they have some redress now mm -hmm. if their practices are attempting to charge them. 
And so that's good news. And I'm wondering if you can tell us uh, what's one thing that you are concerned about in terms of a trend that's happening, but what is making you perhaps optimistic? So uh, on the horizon, the good and the bad. Yeah. You know, I'm still concerned um, by the slow pace of adoption and um, of, of not only all things digital. I mean, people are adopting them, but um, I think healthcare still lags dramatically behind other industries in terms of um, our creativity mm-hmm. around digital. Mm-hmm. Um, what we are doing in, in the ways of stitching it all together, making it really seamless. Um, if you think about what's provided in patient portals, it's still really very um, rudimentary compared mm-hmm. to the kinds of things that we're used to doing in other industries. And I think that's uh, frankly sad. Um, um, so I am looking forward to uh, another level of integration and another level of creativity about um, the ways that we engage with people and the ways we think about um, making um, uh, digital information more personalized, more informative, more, um, um, more interesting. To people so that it provides them with um, not only better clues about how to change their health, mm-hmm. um, but helps them help themselves. So if you think about, um, let's think about New Year's resolution as a great example. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the vast majority of things people make New Year's resolutions about have some tie to their health. Uh, you know, they want to exercise more, they want to eat better, they want to drink less, they want to stop smoking, mm-hmm. they want to um, meditate, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and they probably want to manage their financials. But financial stress, frankly, contributes to health status. Um, so directly or indirectly, a huge number of things that people want to change about their lives um, are health related. Mm -hmm. And when, um, you know, it's about the middle of February, we start having news reports about all of the fall-offs in, uh, you know, people attending uh, health classes, people Mm -hmm. getting to the gym, people fall off the wagon about their diets, their exercise, etc. And we kind of all laugh ruefully and blame individuals. Mm -hmm. But when you think about it, it's really not so much an individual failure as a failure of all of us in healthcare to help people figure out how to make those behavior changes and sustain them. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we think about digital health, some of it's that we haven't figured out um, how best to engage with people and help them sustain those behaviors. I happen to think that um, behavior change is a bit of a cyclical thing, and it's not as much about the initial engagement as it is about re-engagement. And so part of what we have to get better at is not about castigating people for stopping, Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. but celebrating starting and helping them figure out how to restart. And thinking about the phrasing, right? Right, right. No, that's a great, a very great point, right? The positive, uh, uh, looking at things with a very positive outlook, and that impacts your uh, level of enthusiasm and your ability to make change, right? Change behavior. Uh, so speaking of behavior, I guess maybe we should end with uh, advice from, from you. You've written this book, um, and I'm sure there are people who want to get it and will be getting it this summer. Um, again, participatory health. Uh, I'm wondering if you could give one bit of advice for people to do now uh, to prepare for whether there's a crisis uh, that they that they encounter or not. What should the average person do to make sure they have uh, engagement and take control of their health? It's a great question, Yaya. Um, you know, I think the key thing is that... Um, Health is not something that happens when you go to the doctor. And so part of it is that we have to start thinking about health as the way we live our lives, as opposed to, um, I think we currently think about it as what happens um, in the healthcare system. Um, So it's about the choices that we make every day. Uh, the food we put in our mouths, um, the exercise that we get. I mean, it's about the friendships that we have and how we Mm. nurture them. Um, It's about the community that we live in and what we do to nurture that sense of community. Um, And so when we think about um, health, it's about all of those systems woven together, not just the healthcare system. Um, but more to the point, um, in interaction with the healthcare system, you know, this really is about taking responsibility for yourself. Your doctor can't fix you, only you can fix you. And so when you're in interaction with the healthcare system because you have a problem, um, Go into it thinking of it as a partnership. You're going in to get advice and support from your doctor and from your insurer, but you have a responsibility as well. Um, And that means that you go in with the idea that um, you are an equal partner and you have responsibilities and you're standing up for yourself in that context. Um, You're educating yourself you're educating your family, you're educating those in your community, um, and when necessary, honestly, you're educating your physician and your community and your insurer about your needs. So um, think about it that way as opposed to this is something that you go to as a passive recipient. Um, And if anything's a theme, I think that that is one of the themes. I also want to say that, um, you know, as I listen to people, as I told their stories, um, I think I heard two things. I I expected to hear people um, really with lots of ideas about the technology that they wanted and the kinds of things that they um, 
are irritated with the healthcare system for not provided from a standpoint of technology. And mm-hmm. I certainly, I certainly get those. I, I hear a lot of stories about if, you know, if my uh, veterinarian can provide online appointments, why can't my, right. uh, but, but more to the point, I, heard a lot about a desire for relationships with their doctors mm-hmm. and um, people really do want uh, physicians uh, that um, that they've got long-term relationships with and they want technology to support and enable those relationships mm-hmm. but they also want relationships so um, to the health systems and to the doctors the message is absolutely think about technology but think about how it enables relationship mm-hmm. and to the um, patients and caregivers you know if you're in a system that, isn't valuing both the relationship and the technology that adds convenience and makes it easy um, to be a patient, you know, look for somebody who understands that both of them are important. Hmm. Very, very good. Great advice. Uh, Thank you so much, uh, Jan. Uh, Jan Oldenburg is a national leader on digital health, the author of best-selling titles on patient engagement. And her latest book, Participatory Healthcare, will be published this summer. Thank you, Jan, so much for talking with us. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Welcome back. And we just finished listening to an interview with Jan Oldenburg, the nationally recognized expert on patient engagement in digital health. And Jan really brought some some really great insight, I thought, don't you think, Andrea? Yeah, I mean, what I love about Jan is that is she brings that sense of urgency mm. that what patients and their families want and need, those needs are not necessarily being met by healthcare organizations and doctors that, you know, that process is still ongoing. Right. And I think that's what's exciting to me about a lot of the consumer technology, things like, you know, the IC Med app or a lot of what, you know, Apple has done in health is that mm. a, a lot of those needs needs are being met, you know, outside of the formal structure of healthcare. So I think she really brings that out. And you can learn more about Jan at janoldenberg.com. And again, her book is coming out this summer. So that's the way to find out information about her book and some of the other things that she's doing. She brought out a lot of stories, and and that's what we want to do here with this podcast is is share more stories. Um, so I think to um, you know I, I'd love for the audience to let us know since this is our very first podcast. We plan to have more. Um, we'd like to know what stories are out there. What are what are the experiences that people have had um, significant to healthcare, or what are the issues that you think um, you'd like. Uh, us to discuss. So um, you can actually do that. I'll, I'll give our, the way to reach us is through one through email and you can just email family at icmedonline.com um, and also just your thoughts, your feedback. And you can also follow us on um, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Just look for icmed uh, on all of those platforms. And um, Andrea, I don't know. I think we have something really good here. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I, I'm excited to see what other stories we're going to tell. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, uh, listeners, for being with us, Andrea. This has been great. I guess we'll uh, do this again very, very soon. See. You, see you next time. Thanks. 